0: You're listening to TIP.
1: On today's show, I sit down with Neil Patel to talk about how he got his start as an entrepreneur, his thoughts on side hustles, and how everyone should own their dream. Neil is a New York Times bestselling author and a successful entrepreneur. He is also recognized as one of the top 10 marketers by Forbes and one of President Obama's top 100 entrepreneurs under 30. It's easy to see just how successful Neil has become as a digital marketer and entrepreneur. He has over 750,000 subscribers on YouTube and nearly a million Facebook fans. Neil definitely knows his stuff and generously shares his information about the best digital marketing practices on his blogs and podcasts. I'm excited to share our conversation about his journey as an entrepreneur and the advice he would give to millennials who would like to become successful in their own ways. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's get started.
0: You're listening to Millennial Investing by The Investor's Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Millennial Investing. With me today, I'm super excited to have Neil Patel. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thanks for having me. Let's start the show by talking a bit about you. You're a New York Times bestselling author. You were coined a top 100 entrepreneur by Obama and a top 100 marketer by Forbes. How'd you get here?
2: Honestly, just grinding it out. It's funny because a lot of people are like, what's the secret? What's the trick? What's the silver bullet? There really isn't any of that. You do something long enough and you do it well enough, eventually things work out. I'm not the smartest person in the world by any means or any stretch but I've learned one simple concept over the years. You're going to make mistakes as an entrepreneur no matter how smart you are, but the ones who succeed are the ones who continually learn from their mistakes and avoid making the same ones over and over again. So
1: a few specific things I want to cover in the episode today are entrepreneurship, side hustles, and digital marketing. But let's first talk about entrepreneurship. What made you want to even become an entrepreneur in the first place? And why a digital marketing business specifically?
2: When I was 15 and a half, I was picking up trash at a local theme park called Knott's Berry Farm. It's like a Disneyland, just not as well-known and not as big. Didn't like picking up trash, cleaning restrooms, sweeping up vomit. So one day I decided, you know what, let me look for a better job. I went to a site called monster.com. I know back in the day, a lot of people haven't heard of monster.com. They're old. But back in the day, they were a publicly traded company. They still may be. And I couldn't find any high-paying jobs that paid well. I saw one trend, you need a college degree. I was 15 and a half. What college degree did I have? And I was still in high school. So through that whole process, I saw that I wasn't qualified for any of the jobs. Monster was a publicly traded company and I saw their financials. And I was like, holy crap, these guys make a lot of money. And I'm like, you know what? I can't find a job. Let me create a job board to help other people find a job. And if I make 1% of what Monster makes, I'm going to be a rich kid. And that's how I started out. And what I quickly learned and realized from that whole process is you set up a job website, you go and you try to make money. It's not that simple. And when I first started my job website, I made no money. And the reason being is no one came to my website. I had to learn marketing. I paid some people to help me out. I got burned, ripped off. I lost all my money. I had no choice but to learn it on my own. I got good at it, started getting a ton of people on my job website. And then all of a sudden, I still wasn't making money, but I was good at the aspect of getting traffic to websites. And I love that aspect. So I decided to focus there. What ended up happening with the job board website or business that you had started? Shut down, focused purely on helping companies grow their traffic. And eventually, I started creating software companies to help with that.
1: So throughout this whole time, was there a moment where... It hit you that you knew that you were going to be an entrepreneur and you were never going to go to a typical job? Or has it just kind of really evolved organically over
2: time? It just evolved organically over time. I didn't know if I was going to go for a job or work somewhere or anything like that or just more so. you know, I was just constantly grinding it out and whatever happened, happened. Keep in mind when you're like 15 and a half, 16 years old, you have nothing to lose. If it works, great. You're doing better than when you were. If you fail, great, you're still living with your parents and nothing's really changed.
1: So when you were 15, and even your next business after that, since your first business didn't really make any money and you didn't sell it, when you were just starting out, how did you start? It doesn't sound like you raised any venture capital or anything like that. It sounds like you just bootstrapped it. Is that the process or the route that you went?
2: Well, as I mentioned, the job board didn't work out. My mom's a teacher and I grew up somewhat book smart. Not that book smart, but smart enough. I also decided to take college classes while I was in high school. I was going to community college when I was around 16. And my first class was Speech 101. I gave a speech on how Google works and how to rank your website and get more traffic. And someone in there said, hey, my company is looking for someone like you. We didn't know what it's called, but we want to hire someone like you. And my first gig was around $5,000 a month. That's how I started off. And then I did well, grew them. They were paying me five grand a month. I thought it was rolling in the dough. What I didn't realize is I drove them roughly around $20 million in additional revenue. The owner of the company, he had a son. His son owned an ad agency. And back then, he got me clients like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Countrywide, which is now owned by Bank of America. From there, it just kept expanding and growing.
1: And so, what were you doing exactly for them to generate the $5,000 a month?
2: So, for $5,000, they were paying me, and I was getting them higher rankings on Google. So, I would rank up for terms like power supply, power supply manufacturer. Now, this company was called Elpac, E-L-P-A-C. They got bought out eventually by someone else. And what they did was produce power supplies for large corporations like Boeing planes and Philip Hart resuscitators and stuff like that. I think it's going to
1: vary from situation to situation and everybody's going to be different. But in general, do you think it's unwise for a new entrepreneur to try and raise venture capital for their business? Should more people just trying to focus on their business itself and start bootstrapping rather than worrying about raising money?
2: Not all businesses are, are venture-backable. So a lot of people want to raise money, but if you can't figure out how to go after a big 10, and I mean a total addressable market, like something huge, not like a $500 million market, probably not even a billion-dollar market, but something that's like a 10, 15, 20, $50 billion market, usually in most cases, raising venture capital doesn't make sense. And you should try to bootstrap it or raise some friends and family money and you know, just kick them out dividend checks.
1: Yeah, I think that's the component that a lot of millennials who are listening to the show that might want to start their own startup miss is that they think they need venture capital and then when they're not able to raise it, they think that their idea is not good when maybe it's just not, like you said, venture capital backable. And maybe they have a good idea, it's just not gonna grow into an addressable market that is big enough to be backed by them.
2: Bingo, you got it right. Like There's so many times where I tried raising venture capital and I failed. And funny enough, some of those businesses did well. It doesn't mean that they're going to be the next Uber or anything. They still didn't do that well, but they did well enough. And I was really happy with the outcome. I could tell that VCs wouldn't because it wasn't a business that could make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars a year in profit or anything like that
1: or a normal person who has a regular career, say making fifty dollars to $100,000 a year, a business can be successful if it brings in an extra $5,000 a month or $10,000 a month, or even a little bit more. But for a venture capital firm, that's not going to be nearly enough because they're spreading their bets across all these different companies. And they need a company to 10x or 100x for them to make up for all of their losses. So it's, there's really just a missing alignment of incentives, if you will, for companies that can be successful, but small in venture capital.
2: That's right, I think entrepreneurs make that mistake in which 5, 10,000, 15,000, even 3,000 dollars a month could be great and it can change your life. That additional income is amazing. But for a venture capitalist, they're raising funds of hundreds of millions, sometimes even billions of dollars. They don't want to manage 100, 200 deals. They want to manage fewer deals, put bigger checks in and go big. They want to find the next Uber, the next Airbnb, the next Peloton. If you can't be massive like that, it's just not a good fit but that doesn't mean you have a bad business. It just means that maybe you should raise some money from friends and family. And you know what? If you create a business that pushed off 200 grand a year in profit, and your friends and family who own 50% of the company gave you 150 grand to start with, but they now get a check each year for 100 grand, they're happy. That's a great return for them.
1: I talk about that a lot on the show. I really think that that's such a powerful idea because you know I'm all about having big goals, and I'm sure you are as well. But setting out thinking that you have to build a billion-dollar business, I feel like it almost sets you up for failure where you could have a business that does three to $10,000 a month in profit. And you know, like you said, that's life-changing. And I think that that's a lot more achievable for a lot of people than a billion-dollar company. And you just have to have set your expectations appropriately. That's right. Now, I want to talk about your book, Hustle. In that book, you talk about why people must own their dreams, not rent them from others.
2: What does this mean and why is it so important? Let's back up actually a little bit. So in life, let's say most people are lost and they don't even know what they want to do. A lot of people believe that when you're growing up, you know you want to be a doctor or a policeman or a firefighter. Like When you were growing up, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be?
1: Yeah, I was going to be a professional motocross racer. All right. And
2: did you end up doing that? Very closely, but no. So most people, similar to you, don't end up doing what they thought they were going to do when they were a kid. And most people believe that others know what they want to do when they're kids. And that's actually not the case. In life and in reality, as you grow up, a lot of us don't know what we want to do. Majority don't. Some people go their whole life not knowing what they want to do. And what ends up happening is, is if you have this dream that like, oh, I want to do this or do that, by all means, go for it. But most of us don't even have that dream. So we don't know what we want to do. And what I would do if I were you is start testing new things out. Don't go just copy what someone else is doing or don't go copy your friend because they're a firefighter or a doctor or entrepreneur and they're doing well. You need to experiment and try a handful of things and you'll quickly realize what you don't like and what you like and what you're naturally good at. Typically, what you're naturally good at is usually what you become more passionate about and what you're going to enjoy and what you're going to excel at in life. And you need to double down on that and focus on that. And what you'll find is you'll thrive and do much better in life than if you just tried copying someone else. And that's a huge mistake we see. I see that day in and day out. It's just people believe that you grow up, you know what you want to do, and that's what people do when they're older. And it's like that very rarely happens. I don't really know anyone who said they wanted to do X when they were a kid, and they ended up
3: doing that same thing when they grew up. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors.
0: Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com mi. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com mi for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com mi
3: for an extended 30-day free trial. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com/slash/flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this: it's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% in APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. All right. Back to the
1: show. How do millennials deal with the dynamic of wanting it now versus putting in the work and the time that it takes to actually get what they want?
2: You just got into putting in the hours. Like, If you expect the results without getting there, it's just like it's just not going to happen. If the world was that easy, we would all be successful and we would all be happy in life and rich. But that's not the case. There's not a ton of entrepreneurs. Most of us, we're going out there and we're working for someone. And the ones who are doing stuff on their own aren't doing as well as they want right away. It's because things take time in life. It's the reality. Like I wish it wasn't the case, but it really is.
1: Yeah. I forget who it was that told me this, but they said they wish that there was a shortcut or a secret that they could tell them. If there was, they would, but there just there isn't. You just have to put in the work.
2: Exactly. It's not just about putting in the work. You got to put it in and you got to focus on it. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett were sitting down in the room and someone asked them in an interview, what was one of the biggest things that led to your success? And they both wrote down without talking to each other right then and there that it was focus. And a lot of people, when they want to do something and they put in hours, they also start getting scatterbrained, especially with millennials. I don't know why, but I've been seeing them more and more scatterbrained versus just sitting down and focusing and hunkering down and just doing that one thing and trying to do it really well for like 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is millennials specifically, but just even entrepreneurs
1: in general, they tend to get distracted by what a lot of people call the shiny object syndrome, where you know everything looks, next idea is going to be the idea, or you know, they got to go try something else because this didn't work quick enough. And I think that's where a lot of people run into issues. I mean, I even fall into it myself. For a while, I was bouncing from idea to idea to idea until I finally found one that I was passionate about. And it did get a little traction early on, and so I've been able to stick with it. But I think that's where
2: a lot of people fail. And a lot of people are just like, look, jumping around and not putting enough time because things that we all want to happen and succeed usually just don't work right away, sadly.
1: If they did, I mean, everybody would do it, right? I mean, if it just you had to put in a week of time or two weeks, even a month, you know, if that's all it took, then everybody would just do that. Exactly. So also in your book, you wrote about how millennials can create their own luck and quote unquote, pop. How is that?
2: One of my co-authors, Patrick, He has a son. And I'm going to butcher the story because I don't know the type of fish, but let's call it koi fish, right? So Patrick and his son one day were in a little creek. Dad's like, Dad, you know, let's go find some fish. Let's go see. And Patrick looks down. He's like, Son, there's no fish in there. Like, let's just go. His son just jumps in there, shuffles his feet, and then boom, he starts seeing some fish pop up and appear. If you don't end up trying, you don't end up trying to create that momentum, the energy of trying to do something, nothing's going to happen. It's so funny. I meet so many people these days that are like, how'd you get lucky? How'd this happen for you? And I'm like, a lot of it's hard work. Sure, there is some luck in there when it comes to entrepreneurship and succeeding in life and even things like right timing. But if you don't take the time and effort to try or do anything, it's very rare that you're going to get that luck. So you got to just go out there and try. Even when the odds are stacked against you, if you're not going to try and make the effort, you're not going to end up doing well. And these days, there's a lot of things going against us from COVID to the economy struggling. What I always tell people is no matter when things are good or bad, if you put in some creativity and you try to think outside the box, you're much more likely to succeed.
1: There's another interesting concept from this book that I, I really liked. And it was this idea on how someone can betray themselves to stay true to themselves and develop their potential. Explain to us a bit more about that.
2: So, when you end up wanting to do whatever you are in life, like right now, what is your goal? What do you want to do right now? Right now, I would
1: say that my biggest goal is just time freedom.
2: If your goal is time freedom, funny enough, so many people have that goal, which is a great goal. Even I have that goal too, because like sometimes it just gets burned out to slog it out for 50, 60, 70 hours a week. So, I'm going to actually break down three actionable tips that can help you achieve that. The first thing is, look at what you're doing right now that's generating you your income. And I would try to figure out what are the quickest ways you can expand it, increase it, and grow it, right? Like in whatever way. Is it getting more ads? Is it selling more? Is it marketing more? Is it closing some more deals? Whatever it may be, there is ways to grow whatever you have. And you don't necessarily have to do anything new. A lot of times, it's whatever you're doing is already working. And you just have to do more of it. The second thing I want you to do is create processes on your framework of what's everything that you're doing that lets you be successful. And then break it down literally step by step. And then the third thing I want you to do is you go and you hire someone who is somewhat qualified that you can end up training, that can follow the processes and procedures, so you can save some time and you can automate your life And not necessarily automate from AI or machine learning, but automate it in which you don't have to be there day to day. And you'll start doing better and you'll get back some of your time, your freedom, and you'll be better off. But I look at a lot of things in life as just problem solving, right? Like you don't have to do something new. You don't have to do something out of the box. Other thing that's interesting too, is I was talking to someone the other day, my neighbor, and they're a chef. And they're a pastry chef. They create cakes and breads and croissants brownies and whatever else a pastry chef would end up creating. And they're telling me how they're trying to achieve all these things. They want to live a better life, yada, yada, yada. And I was just like, you know what? Yeah, you love what you're doing. You're trying to find other solutions so you can meet all these goals. How about you just cut back on your life? Like, yes, investing is great and doubling down is great. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But at the same time, do you need that new car? Do you need that fancy watch? Do you need these extra things in your life? Probably not. If you cut back some of those things, you can win back so much more time, be so much more successful, have that freedom you want, and not be holden to the quote-unquote man or these large corporations or whoever it may be that you're paying your bills to.
1: So do you think about getting a lot of your time back? Do you think a good resource for learning more about that would be 4-Hour week from Tim Ferriss? Because when you were talking about hiring someone, training them to do some of the Lower level tasks that you may have. The first thing that popped in my head was Tim Paris's book, The Four
2: Hour Work Week. It is a great book, and people should definitely check it out. What's funny is when I was telling you that story too, Four Hour Work Week popped in my head as well. Yeah, I recently read
1: it probably beginning of this year, maybe late last year for the first time. And when I was working on the podcast, that's one of those things it's really helped because there's a lot that goes into developing, you know, a high quality podcast, a lot more than people think. And so you need to really take those concepts that you just mentioned, and also what Tim talks about in his book, and really try to automate as much as you can. Otherwise, it's going to take over your life. Exactly. So what are the four major career hustles? And what is the best path for those listening to the show today?
2: It's funny. So I gave a speech a few years ago about the... And I used to give it multiple times because at that time, we were selling books like a hot cake when it first came out and i was breaking down the different types of hustles from you know what you can do inside a company outside a company and multiple variations of it and what i realized though is when i broke them down and i started following up with some of the people most people never ended up choosing any of those hustles so i adjusted it and if i had to rewrite the book with my co-authors i would adjust something in which instead of breaking down the different types of hustles i would actually tell people if you're trying to succeed in life Look at what's already working for you and double down on that. Because a lot of people out there, they try to replicate what others are doing and copy them instead of just focusing on what's working for them. You know, it's like the grass is always greener. I remember when my dad first moved to America or we first moved to America, I was young. When my parents told me the grass is always greener. We moved to America and they moved from the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom's not bad at all. I could always say the grass is greener if you go back to the UK, or I can say the grass is greener in Brazil. I met an entrepreneur named Andres Travis in Brazil, who's a billionaire, literally a billionaire. And uh, he was on the Forbes list, he still may be. And Andres Travis was telling me how Brazil is amazing. It's like the wild, wild west. And it's like America years and years ago, where everything is booming, and there's so much opportunity to make money. But the big mistake that so many of us make is, We look for other opportunities, other hustles. When you have something that you know, you have some passion that you have, double down on that. Don't try to copy and emulate others. If you're an employee, you can still do well with an organization. If you're an entrepreneur, you can still do well on your own. You don't necessarily have to change what you're doing to succeed. What you just need to do is double down on what you like and then you enjoy. And the key is on what you like and what you enjoy because if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to put in the hours, the time, the energy. Like I know we talked about four-hour work week, but you're not going to be able to work four hours and get to where you want in life at the early stages. Sure, over time, you can cut down the amount of hours that you're working, but at the beginning, you got to grind it out. It sucks, but that's a reality.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the title of the book because there's actually a couple books that are like this, but Tim's book, The Four Hour Work Week, is one of them for me, and I put off reading it for a long time because of the title. I heard a lot of people talk about it and rant and rave about it and how good of a book it was, but for me I just I didn't like the title. It sounded cheesy, it sounded gimmicky, it almost sounded like it was I don't want to say a scam, but it sounded like almost kinda of like a scam, you know? One of those those books that just was gonna kind of be bait. And then I read it and everything you just said is is what Tim talks about in the book. And he helps you get to a place where you can automate your business. But he talks about how you have to put in the work first and you have to set up these systems.
2: It's so funny. So I know uh, a young family member and he's just like, yeah, I'm going to read the four-hour work week and I'm going to figure out how to work four hours so I don't have to go to college and don't work. And I'm like, yeah, go read it. I'm like, the book isn't going to tell you to only work four hours at the very beginning and that's how you're going to succeed. I'm like, but go ahead and read it. You know I mean? It is a great book. But it's funny how people assume the title means you only have to work four hours and that's it and you're done. And he has a secret to working only four hours from the beginning. And that's not the case. You know it. I know it. So many people know it. And Tim's not trying to say you can get rich and do whatever you want in just four hours a week from day one.
1: Yeah. There's a personal finance book called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And it's kind of the same idea where it was a book I kind of put off for a long time because I thought it was a gimmicky title. But when you actually read the book, it's actually a pretty good book. And he doesn't talk about taking easy paths or anything like that. You have to actually put in the work. And it's just one of those books titled that kind of the, the same type of thing.
2: And if you look at I Will Teach You Rich, uh, which is by Ramit Sethi, he also breaks down in a lot of his advice and knowledge that it's easier to save money than it is to make it. And he's had a lot of different programs and blog posts from like the screwed mentality to earn one k and stuff like that. What's funny is a lot of people in life believe that when it comes to money like and my mom also taught me this it's easier to save money than it is to make it, so think about your decisions before you spend it and then on top of that, he does break down ways to grow and try to persevere and succeed in life as well, um, because you need to enjoy life too. you don't want to go living life penny pinching every little thing and. Of course that's not ramid's goal of telling you to save every single penny or anything like that
3: let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors
2: hey guys the range
0: rover sport leads by example it's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature range rover refinement that you'd expect the third generation range rover sport is the most desirable with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover support at LandRoverUSA.com.
3: That's LandRoverUSA.com. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, This is a paid endorsement for Public Investing. 5.1% in APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with Public Investing, member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither Public Investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. US only. Learn more at public.com/disclosures/high-yield-account.
0: lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
3: All right, back to the show. Some of the things that you do
1: as part of your business, such as your YouTube channel, blog, or podcast, are often popular side hustles that people consider. If someone is going to start a brand new side hustle today, which of those three options would you recommend they start with? Or maybe it's too late to start any of those three, and now it's something else?
2: It's not too late to start any of them. I know there's like over a billion blogs on the web, but there's still room to create more and get more traffic podcasting is just blowing up and starting, especially in regions like the United States. YouTube isn't saturated yet and social networks aren't either. But I don't recommend someone create a podcast over a blog or a blog over a video or vice versa. What I recommend you do is you figure out what you're naturally better at and double down on that. For example, Gary Vaynerchuk does videos first because he's better on videos. I'm not saying he can't write text, but he likes it. It's the format that he prefers. He thrives with it. On the flip side, I do better with text than I do on videos. So I spend more time writing than I do creating video content. You got to figure out what's right for you and double down on that, and you'll find more success doing that versus just copying someone else.
1: If this is someone's first side hustle, they've never tried anything like this, how do they know what is right for them? Do they just kind of work on it, try all the different things and see what, what is best for them? Or you know, how do they go about that?
2: You go and you test. It's all about experimentation. Try things out. Try all of them out. See when you naturally like you're getting more traction on and then double down on that.
1: Is there a point where they run the test and you have enough data that you can say, okay, this is enough of a sample size. This is enough of a test that this just isn't working. This isn't the right strategy for me. I can, you know, move on to something else. Or do they need to do it for a certain period of time? Or how do you approach that?
2: Typically within a week to a month, you'll know if something's working out or you can get traction. It may not produce the results. You can see if you're getting traction or you'll find out if you like it or don't. Because if you don't like it, then there's no point in doing it because you're not going to excel if you really hate something.
1: What are some of the other most common or biggest mistakes that you see people making when they're starting a new side hustle or new business even?
2: Focus. We mentioned focus. If you don't focus and double down, you're not going to do well. Two, you got to solve a problem. You just don't want to do whatever you want. If you're not solving a real problem, you won't succeed in life because people don't pay for random crap. Sometimes they do, sure, like fidget spinners, but if they don't solve a problem, they go in as fads and then they stop doing well. And then the other thing is your solution ideally needs to be easy to use and ideally affordable as well.
1: So we have talked a lot about focus and, and I actually agree. I think you do need to focus. It's something I'm working on. But you've also mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk a couple of times. I'm sure you follow him being in the space that you are. I follow him as well. One of the things he talks about is how he loves juggling seven, eight different balls in the air at once. How does somebody manage the dynamic of working on a bunch of different things at once, kind of like Gary does, or focusing on one specific thing at a time?
2: What you need to do is focus on one thing at a time for now. And then once you build up a team and you get bigger and bigger, then you can expand. But at first, you need a focus. And if you want to juggle multiple balls and do multiple things at once, you need a team of amazing players that can help you out and succeed. I was once giving a speech at a conference and I got lucky enough to speak right before Richard Branson. And uh, I got to talk to him for a minute. He probably still doesn't remember me. Nice guy. I don't know him personally or anything like that. And I remember he gave me a piece of advice because I was talking to him for a bit. And he said, one of the key success was amazing team. And if you look at most successful entrepreneurs, they didn't get there on their own. They got there with the amazing team. So you got to have amazing players working for you. And without them, you won't get to where you want.
1: And to get that team, you need to focus on something, make that one thing work yourself so that you can then hire a team or bring a team on that believes in the mission and be able to go into different things. Exactly. So to wrap up the show, what is an opinion that you have or a piece of advice even that you give about entrepreneurship or side hustles that not everyone agrees with, but you think it is sound advice?
2: I always tell people, don't try to make the most money. Don't try to do anything crazy. Just be happy and content with what you're doing and cut your expenses. Because a lot of people go out there and strive to be really wealthy or rich. But in reality, making tons of money won't always make you happy versus doing what you love and you're passionate about. And if what you love or passion about doesn't make the most money, that's okay. Just cut back your lifestyle. And I really tell a lot of people that they should do that. But most people wouldn't agree with me. And they say, no, you should go after the biggest market. You should try to make the most money. But if that's not your passion, what's the point of doing something that you hate for life?
1: Yeah. There's no point in doing something and putting in all your time and effort if it's not something that's going to make you happy. Exactly. Neil, thanks so much for coming on the show today and talking all about entrepreneurship and side hustles. For those listening that want to learn more about you, these topics, and just all the different things that you have going on, where's the best place for them to reach you?
2: neilpatel.com.
1: Neil has all kinds of great resources, information, and all kinds of different things to check out on his website, like you just said, at neilpatel.com. I'll be sure to put a link to it in the show notes below. So anybody listening that wants to connect with him, you can do that there. Neil, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week.
2: Thank you for
0: listening to TIP.